Oh, it's good to be together in the house of the Lord to worship. We are here to meet with him. Amen. And to spend time together as a rhythm of our weekly life together in worship and delight and praise. And I'm glad you're here. The other morning uh, before school, um, Logan was sitting at the table rattling off all of the things that he wanted to do. Now, he start, school starts at 9, and so we try to leave the house, I say, 8.30. That means I'm in the car at 8.45. It's good times. Um, so it's like 7.30 a.m., right? And he's sitting there. We got a block of time. And he's rattling off all the things he wants to do. He wants to go to the basement and find his teddy bear and then get his hippo. And he wants to color this. And he wants to, you know, Mommy, sit down with me and play this matching card game that I really, really like. And just going, um, he needs to go get his book so he can return it to the library at school and on and on. And I said, Okay, buddy, that sounds great, because he's ready to go. He's dressed, he's eaten breakfast, he's, you know, got his shoes on almost, and it's like, okay, that's all you need. Took you five minutes. Mommy has a lot to do. <laughs> Mommy needs to make your lunch. Mommy needs to do, and I started rattling off all these things. So you, you go do that. You're five, you're big, go to the basement, you can do all those things. Oh, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> he just sort of melts, and he's like, no, I want you to go with me. I said, I'm sorry, Logan, I can't do that. So I very calmly continue in the kitchen, making his lunch, getting his snack ready, preparing to go upstairs. I still have to take my shower. I have to get myself ready, yada, yada. And after a few minutes of me just sort of calmly continuing on, he says, I noticed he'd gotten quiet, and he kind of says out of nowhere, Mom. I did my breath thing, and I feel better. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> and I said, I did the breath thing, in, out, in, out, in, out, and, and now I feel better. There were so many things I wanted to do, and I, I didn't have time to do them all. So I did my thing, and I feel better. <laughs> At this point, I walk over to the table, and I'm like, show me. He said, listen, y'all, I didn't teach him this. <laughs> show me what you are saying. And he goes, you breathe in at the top of one finger, and then breathe out, and then breathe in, and breathe out. And he goes over all five of his little fingers, breathe in, breathe out. And he goes, and now I feel better. I was like, well, that is amazing. <laughs> you just did a breath prayer, right? He has this uh, extra area called Waves at school now where they have a, a school-based therapist that's teaching them some like uh, emotional regulation and emotional intelligence. I'm like, that is a great investment. But I thought that is just incredible. He was articulating to me that he was feeling very overwhelmed by all of the things he wanted to do, but he didn't have time to do them all. And so he slowed his breath down and he focused on one thing he could do. The one thing, retrieve the teddy bear. That's what he had discerned after his breath prayer. And I explained to him, that's a really good way to come back to yourself, to breathe, and even to pray. And my husband, when I told him that story later, he joked, he goes, you're going to use that in a teaching, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and had, I, had it happened the week before, I would have used it last week when we talked about uh, silence and solitude. Because a breath prayer is one of the ways, if you're someone that has a hard time sitting still or being quiet, there were some resources posted on the website. So for some things that you could do in your moments of finding the oremos, right? The, the quiet places, the desert, desolate places so that you can be alone with yourself and with God. A breath prayer was one of those practices, something to do. And now I've taught you a new one, <laughs> a new breath prayer that works for kindergartners. You can breathe and trace your fingers. 
also makes a good turkey. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Daryl, for that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I hope that went well for you last week. As you begin to practice, maybe you haven't before, you're experimenting now, trying to find moments. Even if it only happened once this last week, five minutes, ten minutes, maybe you had a dream and you achieved 30 minutes one day that you found in silence and solitude where you tried to turn off that internal noise. Easier some days to turn off the external noise, but to quiet your own thoughts and heart and to be present with God. Something else that really impressed me about Logan's little exercise that he showed me is that there was an acknowledgement in that moment of his limits. There were so many things that he wanted to do, but he couldn't do them all before we went to school. He couldn't do them all. And so he took those deep breaths and focused on the one thing he had to do, retrieve the teddy bear with mommy. That was the thing. Mommy couldn't do them all either. And I think that is really important for us to remember as well. I said in the first week of this teaching series that the solution to an over-busy life is not more time. It is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. Because chances are, if we were to get a bonus eighth day of the week where you had 24 hours, we'd probably just fill it doing the same things we already do. Watch another movie, listen to more podcasts, run more errands, right? We, you know, unless we simplify and slow down and prioritize what's really important in some of our rhythms and practices of life here, more time is really not the answer. There's an acknowledgement here of our limits, We have to acknowledge and accept them that we cannot do it all. Our culture wants us to sort of transgress all limitations, to kind of uh, allure us to kind of cheat time and space. To be like God, was that not the sin in Genesis? To have knowledge, to be like God, that we want to kind of go beyond our limitations of time and place, and we want to do it all. And our culture tells us we can do it all. We can have it all. You can watch every film and go on every road trip and go to every new restaurant and fix every problem. You can rise to the top of your field and win every award. More, more, more. You just got to go, 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 and you can have it all. Friends, that's not true. We know that because many of us have tried, and we haven't gotten there yet, and we're tired, and we're worn down, and we're exhausted, and our spiritual life is just not where we want it to be. We cannot do it all. We have limits, and it's important to acknowledge those. We have limits. Oh, look, spoiler alert. You already knew that. We have limits of our own bodies, right? Of like our own time that's been, that's been given to us. We have limits in our minds and what we can understand. It's important to remember there's creator and then there's the created. We are on this side of the divide. We are not the creator. We are limited. Scripture says we can know now in part, but one day we will know in full. In our minds and in our understandings and what we can comprehend and get our arms around, we are limited. We are limited in our giftings. We can't be good at everything. I tried really hard when I was a kid. I was in gymnastics and softball and Girl Scouts and piano lessons and woo. And I thought I had to be perfect at all of it. That's not all of my giftings. I'm embarrassed. When Daryl found out that I had taken piano lessons for eight years, he's like, man, we need to get you behind the keys. <laughs> oh, no. Mm-mm. No, it wasn't that good was not that good. (laughs) So I'm really glad we got Delane now because, woof, it was getting 
little touch and go there if it was Rachel on the keys. We have limits in our giftings. We're not supposed to be good at it all. And we have limits in our seasons of life that we find ourselves in. The book that I've been reading to kind of help with this series called Kids, A Limitation. I had to reread that part. And I thought, okay, because that sounds like a negative thing. But what the author was really saying is that this life stage that you're in with your kids still at home, whether you like it or not, and even kids of different ages, right? My life looks different now than it will 10 years from now with my kids, which it will 10 more years from now. And some of you already know that. My kids right now and the, the time and money and energy that I'm spending at this stage, it means that I need to say no to other things. Because the kids are a limitation. I can't do everything because they are my prime, you know, sole responsibility right now. I will have more time available later in life to do other things. It's a limitation. I think graciously accepting our limits and a spiritual discipline that I think helps us do that is Sabbath. Practicing and observing Sabbath, I think, is what it looks like to graciously accept that we are limited in our time, in our energy, in our giftings. This is a habit of Jesus that we're going to take a look at today. Because Jesus himself had a weekly habit and rhythm of Sabbath. As a Jewish man, yes, but also as a rabbi, he practiced Sabbath. And so as a part of this series where we're trying to figure out different practices, like what's the key to unlock, to unhurry our life? Well, I'm not trying to sell you anything here. It's simply just to pattern our lives after Jesus, to make our lives look a little bit more like Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get a taste of the peace and the joy and the life that he offers through four different practices that Jesus himself practiced in his own life and ministry in the gospel, silence and solitude last week, and today, Sabbath. And if you haven't checked it out yet, yeah, I know many of our house groups are back and using our curriculum. Um, I'm, create, you know, I'm sort of writing that curriculum each week, but then I've also been posting a separate resource for some different ways to help you practice. If you're just kind of exploring some of these spiritual disciplines for the first time, even if you're not in a house group, you can go on our website and go to our media page and you can find some resources posted for each of these weeks. There's actually four practices for Sabbath that help you kind of begin. This is a really overwhelming one, right? It's hard to, to sort of understand how in the world could I do nothing for 24 hours. Um, so this is some resources to begin. There's that plug. Okay, so our scripture passage for today is uh, Mark chapter 2, the end of Mark 2 into Mark 3 uh, to verse 6. So Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6, and I'll read that for us now. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. 
and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. All right, <clears throat> ragweed, here we go. Two episodes on the Sabbath, two different things that Jesus does. Have you all noticed that Jesus seems to get in the most trouble on the Sabbath? Bless him. It's when he stirs up the most fun, it's all the things that he does on the Sabbath. Before we jump into this passage and kind of unpack a few of these things, I want us to kind of... Um, get some foundational pieces here of like, what is the Sabbath? What do we know about the Sabbath? Well, first, it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means very simply to stop. To stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying, just stop, just be. There's an, another translation of the same Hebrew word. It also means to delight to delight in the world, in our relationships, in our lives, and above all, to delight in God. And of course, the first place that we see Sabbath show up is in Genesis, is in the creation story. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Right here in the beginning, God models this pattern of work and rest, bakes it right into the DNA of all of creation. There's this pattern, work and rest. The Sabbath then is this entire day set aside to follow God's example, to rest and to delight. It says right here that God blessed it and made it holy, a holy day where you can meet with God. We are here to meet with you, a holy day. But interestingly enough, in the creation narrative, there are three times that God blesses something. And the first two are when God creates and then blesses the animals and says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he also does that to humanity after create, creating man and woman. God blesses them, and the blessing is to be fruitful and multiply. So here's the third blessing, blessing it on a day. But there's this sense in that to set it apart as holy, as a blessing, that it's also going to be life-giving. It's sort of this creative, you know, restorative power of rest and delight. So we see the potential for Sabbath in Genesis baked right into the DNA of all creation. And the next time it pops up is for the command of Sabbath in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." It shows up now as a command in the law in Exodus 20. And the why being because God rested in creation and set apart this day to make it 
holy, set apart for the Lord. It could also be sort of dedicated to the Lord. Translation there of it's a Sabbath to the Lord. It's this understanding of it's a whole day dedicated to, set aside, not just for rest, but also for worship. It's part of delighting in God, right? Set aside for a day of worship to reorient your focus away from yourself and your own strivings and your own little world to the creator of the universe. It's a day for worship. And now this is a sort of Sabbath as a command was what the Pharisees were responding to with Jesus. They take a very literal, legalistic approach to the Sabbath. They see him and his disciples gleaning for grain, for food while they're traveling, and then they observe him healing someone on the Sabbath. And one of the first questions is, why are you letting your disciples do what is unlawful? You're breaking the rules here, Jesus. It's clear that they take a very literal interpretation of this command of Shabbat to stop. Stop working. Even stop expending energy. Down to, in some traditions of the, you know, the Orthodox tradition, down to uh, the number of steps that you would take in a day. There's a limit. Because there's a limit to how you would expend energy to work. How many of you have been to the Holy Land? Did you discover while you were there, this happened to me, um, that on Sabbath, at your hotel, you got into the elevator and all of the buttons were lit, lit up. That elevator was going to stop at every floor. Why? Because it was Sabbath and they wanted you to not push the button. That's a, I don't know, that's not very much expending energy, but that's, a, that's one interpretation of this very literal understanding of stop. Stop work, stop doing, stop striving. I want us to get that because in our culture today, we very much do not have a legalistic interpretation of Sabbath. It's the exact opposite. So from this Pharisee's perspective, these two things that Jesus does in Mark 2 and 3 are breaking the law of Sabbath. But in each of these responses, what we see Jesus do is actually use Scripture to have his own legal interpretation of the law and to show, to reorient their focus back to the true purpose and meaning and gift of Sabbath. How easy is it for us sometimes to get so wrapped up in the rules and the right and wrong of it that we miss the whole heart of it altogether? That's what Jesus is doing here. And I love that he references 1 Samuel 16. You know, he references the story of David when he's fleeing for his life, when Saul is after him, trying to kill him, and David and the people with him go and they eat the bread of presence. But you're like, ooh, that, that is, seems like a big no-no. But the priest gives it to him because it's this understanding that they're fleeing for their life. It's sustenance for their journey. And it's also the priest sort of blessing David. He's supposed to be the next king to replace Saul. And so I'm not sure if the Pharisees had more of an issue with Jesus doing something on Sabbath and gleaning or if kind of relating himself to the, the king to be David, as saying, well, I'm as important as David eating the bread of presence, that probably made them mad too. Referring to himself as the Lord of Sabbath. But what he says to them, his response is, man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made as a gift 
for you to stop, to rest, to delight, to worship, to have peace in your limitations, <laughs> that it's okay. We're not supposed to do it all or have it all. In the next response, when he heals the man, he does more. Jesus, in every healing that we see him do, he does more than just fix an immediate problem before us. What Jesus does is restore his whole life. It's possible that this man wasn't able to work because of his withered hand. It's possible that he had not been able to provide for his family. It's even possible that maybe he had been separated, estranged, set apart. By healing his hand, Jesus is restoring this whole man's life his ability to work, his ability to re-enter community. That's sort of like this holistic healing, salvation for this man. I love what Reverend Matt Skinner says about this. Jesus contends that sometimes certain demands of the law are rightly set aside in favor of pursuing greater values or meeting greater needs, especially when those greater needs promote a person's well-being and facilitate the arrival of divine blessings. This is what this pastor says about Jesus' legal interpretation here of the purpose of Sabbath. Jesus sees a greater need an opportunity for divine blessing, and for a day that was meant to save and preserve life, to celebrate the gift of life in Sabbath. What better day to heal someone from that perspective than the Sabbath? What greater day to sort of announce the power of God? He goes on, this pastor, to say the proper function of the Sabbath is to promote life and to extol God as liberator. Everybody knew that, but they're going about it in different ways. They're going about it in very different ways, Jesus and the Pharisees here. Jesus is more concerned about the heart of Sabbath, the aim of Sabbath, to save and preserve life than maybe its legalistic view or practice. Jesus had this weekly rhythm of practicing Sabbath to rest and worship and delight in God, to announce God's reign through salvation and healing. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's sort of the, the refrain in the Gospel of Mark, the announcement, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus does that with his whole life, even on, especially on, the Sabbath. So as I said, we don't really have a legalistic practice of it today. It's honestly maybe a little foreign to us, can't even begin to fathom how we might begin to practice this in our lives. And so for us, I think it's important to remember the why, the why of Sabbath. And there's one more place in the law that this command shows up, and that's in Deuteronomy 5. And remember, this is when they're kind of rehashing all the law. We found ourselves in De Deuteronomy a lot the past couple of months. When they're rehashing the law, about to cross over into the promised land, and sort of reminding the Israelites, reminding themselves of who they are, that their God is faithful, that their God provides, and that this is part of their relationship, of their set-apartness to be holy. And they remember the command of Sabbath. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The why here for Sabbath is because God alone is the source of their salvation. 
once they were in bondage, once they were making bricks, once they had no day off, and you work, and you toil, and you labor, and they were set free from that. And now the source of their life, the source of their salvation, the source of all that they are and what they have is God alone. So remember the Sabbath. It's an opportunity to stop and to remember the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So easy to slip back into our work as sort of this understanding that we can control our own outcome, that we can set our own destiny, that we can be our own God, (laughs) that we have the power and the control. But friends, the source of our life and freedom is God. It's God alone. Sabbath provides us this sort of resistance to the culture of now. The, The culture of now that we live in. Sabbath can also be resistance to the culture of productivity. In a world where we try to find our own worth and what we can accomplish and do and earn and approve, Sabbath commands us to stop. To remember the Lord your God who is the source of your life and your freedom and all that you have, not the works of your own hands. In this way, I think Sabbath reminds us who we are, just as it did the Israelites And Sabbath reminds us that we were created for life and rest and play and worship. You weren't created to work either. You were created to delight in God and find rest and joy in him. So, okay, that sounds great, Rach. How can we begin to practice this? Right, if this is part of this whole understanding of like, okay, all those, I know you say I'm not made to work, but... Got to pay the bills, you know? Got, we, this is the world we live in. And I can't take any of those burdens away. And Jesus doesn't either. But what Jesus does do is give us this different way of being in the world. Remember that easy yoke that allows us to shoulder the, mur- the burdens we face when we leave this place. The demands that we have on our time, of our attention, the needs of our kids and our families. Those bills that are waiting. So how is this even possible today? Well, let's, let's think about ways that we can begin to practice Sabbath. First, you set aside a day or a time. That takes some planning, planning ahead to clear your schedule. I'm trying really, really hard to take Mondays as my Sabbath, and that means I don't schedule anything then on Mondays. It's hard, but you plan ahead. You have to plan ahead. You make it a priority. You turn off your phone. Silence some of that external and internal noise. Say a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to pastor you in to, this, to his presence. Remember to dedicate to, to set aside for the Lord. And then you rest and worship in whatever way is life-giving for you. Now this practice will look different for each of us in any stage of life. That's just the reality. One of the things that's really important, I think, is on this, you know, even if it's not a full day, in this block of maybe four hours that you are setting aside, it's really important to do is to not do the work that you're not paid for. And what do I mean by that? I mean the laundry and the grocery shopping and the cleaning your house and the going to doctor's appointments because we're all good. I mean, most of the time, we can take a day off of our day job. Yeah, I take a day off work. But then that becomes the days that you catch up on everything else you need to attend to in your life. This is encouraging us to block out that space where it's rest and not work of even 
even in our house. This is a practice, and we don't always get it perfect, but we can begin to start. And I say that because tomorrow, as I just told you, I try to take Monday as my Sabbath. I have to take my son to the doctor, and then I go to the doctor myself. And so then maybe I'll have about three hours in the afternoon where it's going to feel more like Sabbath because I'm practicing too. We won't all get it right, but the point is trying. And I'm looking ahead to next Monday, really excited. Oh, but then it's fall break and my kids are off school, right? <laughs> so you practice. It's not perfect. It's a goal, but we don't give up on it. So some questions to get you started of how in the world can I do this? What is life-giving for you? What helps you delight in God's presence? How about this dream? If you could do anything for 24 hours, what would you do that would fill your soul with deep joy? So much joy that you might just combust with wonder and awe and gratitude and praise. I can tell you what my husband do. He would go on like a, a run somewhere. Like just out, you know, 20 miles would be his dream, right? Just, yeah, if you were in shape enough. Okay, well, it's fine. But that would be very life-giving for him to be out in nature without a phone. I love it when he goes on long runs without a phone. Don't worry at all. He didn't know he was a demonstration today. What would you do for 24 hours that would fill your soul with deep, deep joy? Maybe it's a hike. Maybe it's reading a book for fun. Maybe it's a slow, unhurried dinner with some good friends. A date with your spouse. A nap. Did you know it's okay to nap after the age of four? Yes. It is. How many of you feel guilty for that? You don't have to raise your hand. You, I feel guilty for napping sometimes. There's so many other things I should be doing right now. Sabbath is a command, friends. <laughs> that helps me like circumvent him, like, oh, I have to do it. <laughs> Add it to the list. No, that's not right. Scratch that. Leave that out of the notes. But it is this sense of uh, this day of freedom where you allow yourself just one day to nap, to rest, to delight in your family and your friends and in the presence of God among you. So maybe you can't do a whole day. Start with a day. Start with a block of a few hours. Maybe it becomes half a day on Saturday or Sunday where you start with a long lunch with your family and then nothing else for the rest of the afternoon even. Turn off your phone Go to a park with your kids. Read a book for fun. Try not to, you know, study or do what, you know, rest. Take a nap. Take a nap. It's your homework assignment. <laughs> Take a nap. This practice will change, I believe, how we live the other days of the week. Because then if I know I can't do my grocery shopping or I can't do my meal prepping or I can't clean my house, darn, it just has to sit there. If I know that I can't do that on Saturday, for example, maybe I'll do 15 minutes here or there at the end of the day, Monday through Friday. Sunday for Christians kind of became the tradition for Sabbath, but you have to find what works best for your rhythm and for your family. True restfulness is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It is a living, ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. This practice, as I said, will change, I think, how we live our other days of the week, allowing us to be more in tune with the presence of God that is with us. And I'll tell you, in a season of my life when I practice Sabbath well, meaning more consistently, more regularly, 
the little things that bothered me that I felt like I had to do and accomplish, I let go because I knew I have limitations and I am enough and I have enough and I can be sort of content with the life that I have even if my house is dusty. I can sort of unclench and relax and be at peace because this life, this gift that God has provided and given in every aspect, it's enough. There's a sense of freedom there. Do you hear it? That God longs for all of us to feel in our culture of now and go and not enoughness and productivity. God desires a different way for us to be. That's what countercultural looks like. A people that say no and they stop, and they rest, and they delight in their God. So whether you're in a house group or not, you have some homework this week. You can go online. You can check out some of the resources and pick one. Make a plan for the next couple of weeks. How am I going to taste a little bit of the Sabbath in my life? It could seriously just be a dinner at home with all the phones off. Or experimenting with like a day without turning the TV on for our kids. Oh, I'm scared of that. They might riot, but I'm willing to try. My husband's not. (laughs) No. Think about and pray about how you might get a glimpse of this gift of Sabbath because it was made for us. That's what it is. It's a gift. And I hope you find some peace in that presence this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for the gifts that you give us. God, sometimes we don't even realize the good gifts that you've given us because we're so busy and stressed and overwhelmed. We don't even know how we could stop. There's so much people need us. There's so much to do. So God, help us reclaim the gift that is time and time apart, time with our loved ones and time with you. Help us to truly rest in that presence as we take deep breaths, as we release all of the things that we cannot control in this life, because it is a lot. And help us to remember who you are, our creator, our liberator, our redeemer, and also our friend. What an incredible gift. God, would you make a way for us to taste and see these truths this week in our own houses, in our own lives, and with our own families. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.